0: So all righty, g'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Bradley J. Driver Experience, the future number one podcast in the world. Whether this be the first or one of many that you're tuning into, I want to say thank you so much. It's your support that keeps this show alive and thriving and you can continue to show your support by hitting the all-important, follow or subscribe button leaving that five-star rating and a raving review on Apple Podcast, And we ask that you just share it with one friend. The idea is to get more people listening. This is the podcast that inspires you to be better every day. And the more people that are listening, well, that means we're inspiring more and more individuals. Today's guest, well, I'm pumped to be here. He's invited me into his home, which is very kind of him. He is the Hollywood guru. He's the A-list whisperer. He's a man with a <laughs> contact book. That looks like an Oscar's guest list. He's the chief writer of entertainment at the Daily Telegraph. He hosts his own podcast and his own Nova radio show. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome from your car, from your home, or wherever you are to Mr. Jonathan Moran or Moran. Moran, Moron, J-Mo. Just Jaymo. call me
1: J-mo. JMO, let's go with J-Mo. How are you, mate? I am fit as a fiddler, thank you. You're you're an inspiration, mate. This is uh it's weird for me to sit on the other side of the fence, but uh, yeah, I've been doing a bit of research and uh, wow, your story is really inspiring.
0: I appreciate it. It's, um, it's a pleasure to connect with great people every day and I guess you know exactly how this feels because people ask me all the time what I love most about this mm. and it's that. You get to sit face to face with people, share stories, gain wisdom and you never leave, like I never leave a podcast Flatter than when I walked into the room. And I love that. It's like when you go to
1: the gym and you always leave the gym feeling better than when you left, than when you started, but you didn't want to go there in the first place.
0: 100%. And I think Mm. that's the beauty of this. Like, not everyone gets to experience that in their day-to-day life or in their work. Mm. We do. And I want to talk about all the incredible people that you've met. Yeah. All the wisdom you've gained and all the stories you have to tell. But I'd love to set this off and sort of allow people to get to know you a little better. Sure. You've been in this industry for over 20 years now. How did it all begin?
1: So look, my backstory is I'm a Canberra boy. Grew up in Canberra. My parents, my mum was a bureaucrat, worked in the public service, and she was a workaholic. And my sister and I used to go to work with her all the time. She worked under the Hawke and Keating governments. All that stuff's a bit boring. But um, I remember watching media at play in the press gallery in Canberra. And so while I'm a entertainment journalist now and that's how I've made my career or my path um I started out in the press gallery of Canberra at um a Australian Associated Press which is um the news wire service so you sometimes when you see stories in the newspaper or whatever they'll have a little AAP or AFP or Reuters or something at the bottom that's what that is it's it's a raw news service that provides um content to people Um, So I started out there and uh, look, I was, I studied at Canberra Uni. I did a double major in broadcast print journalism and I wasn't the best in the class. I used to go, I did okay, like I never failed anything and I, I was, you know, did my stuff, but I had to work hard. Like it wasn't easy for me to get good grades and I didn't have much confidence. Like I remember we used to have tutes where I'd have to hand in assignments or we'd have to read out little fake stories that we'd written. Um, And I would avoid those tutes because I was so insecure and like, how can I do it? And even now, to this day, I'm 42 years old and working for the biggest newspaper in the country. To some, I might be successful, and I still have that sort of looking over my shoulder insecurity of, am I here for the wrong reasons? Of if they, am I, have I, if they made a mistake? I'm not in the right job. What if I put an apostrophe in the wrong place because I'm not a grammar Nazi? Um. But yeah, that was a long-winded answer to your question. But I'm a Canberra boy. I studied at uni. Uh, I think education is really important um, because it gives you the discipline. Um, Couldn't tell you what I did for half of the time at uni, drinking a lot at the uni bar. Um, But yeah, I'm an entertainment guy. But I have, uh, for me, my backbone is really—it's really important to me that I am a journalist. You know, I hate being called a gossip writer. I hate being called. Um, anything like that because I studied to be a journalist and I treat every entertainment story that I do with the same integrity that I would if I was doing a court story or a police story or a um, political story
0: That's really nice to hear, talk to me about you know, you touched on it there, that insecurity that we all have in Mm. anything we do, you know, like I come here today and I I think, you know, I hope you enjoy this experience, no pun intended I hope you enjoy the show (laughs) and I hope you enjoy being a part of this and you know, I get 100% what you're saying. Talk me through that development, though, of being a young fella that comes into this industry that is, you know, shots are being fired in your direction all the time, right, in the um, line of work?
1: Yeah, they are now. But when I started off, they weren't. I mean, as a journalist, it takes a lot of guts. Journalists are probably, if I'm realistic, if we're really honest, journalists, particularly in this Trump era, seen as somewhere between a used car salesman and a I don't know what. Um, People don't know whether they can trust them. Um, I I can tell you hand on my heart, whatever side of my body it is, um, is that I don't know any journalists that don't do it for the right reason. Our job is to educate, inform, keep society in check. And you can talk about all the politics of media ownership and all of that sort of stuff, but I fundamentally believe that journalists are there for that that reason um so my job um talking about my insecurities um you know like I've had depression for many many years I um I have struggled with my weight I wasn't the popular kid at school I'm gay I um you know have had all sorts of insecurities throughout my life and so I uh I that's played on me it still plays on me today you know and um, and I've dealt with that in lots of different ways over the years. But, yeah, like I said, I, I was never the best person in class. I had to work to, hard, hard to get the results. Other people just seemed to be able to just write a story and it would be done. Now I can write a story pretty quickly, like very quickly, um, and I'm known for that. But I don't labor over the words. Other journalists will sit there and go, you know, they'll spend five hours working on a 300-word piece because they want every word to sing. I don't care about that. I like getting the news line, getting a story out there. I don't bust my balls worrying about the minute of a, of a word.
0: Is that hard to develop that personality within your industry? Because I guess, you know, nationally, like you're on a national scale where people are looking at your work, people refer to you, people know your name, it's, you know, it's press there at the bottom of a news story or, you know, your face is next to a story online. Yeah. Do you find it hard to express personality? as a journalist I know the story's not about you well but... I
1: always I, I learned working at Australian Associated Press that it wasn't about the journalist it was about the news so I worked there for seven years and so um, I did general news I did financial news after I did my cadetship I worked in the re- as the retail equities writer at Australian Associated Press and I had no idea about maths but I was like it was it was a 10 to 6 shift so I was like yes I don't want to do overnights and um, what was your question? Is it hard to put your head... So anyway, at AAP, you aren't the story. Then I went to the Sunday Telegraph, and this is fi- almost 15, 15 years ago. Uh, and it does become about you because your f- head is on the page.
0: Yeah. Your
1: voice is amplified. It's the biggest newspaper in the country. You're on... You know, I do television. I do radio. I do all of that sort of stuff. And it's, and I'm proud of that, and, I'm, and I enjoy doing all of those things. But yeah, it is hard because I've got to have a thick skin... I'm there, for one of a better description, keeping society in check, or that's what a journalist does, and then, and then, you know, I've, I can't be above being asked questions too, and that has happened over the years, so um, when you put your head above the parapet, you've got to be prepared for people to fire shots, and and it can hurt, but you've got to have a thick skin.
0: Definitely, because I feel like, you know, if I look at you compared to, say, maybe, Most journalists or journalists that I've seen and, you know, consistently seen in the TV and in the news, I feel like you've got a real personality. Um, I've never, I've never hidden who I am.
1: So when I came out at 17, I'd just finished year 12, broke up with my girlfriend and I was like, I knew I was gay, but I just, anyway, I came out and I made a decision that I will never hide my sexuality ever in life. For fear or favor, because I believe that I have a responsibility as a human being to contribute to society and my contribution in that s aspect of my life would be to be open and therefore someone else might be able to be open about their sexuality or whatever else is going on in their life. So that that's how I live my life and I feel the same way about my mental health journey. I have been very open about my depression. I have a whole bunch of mental health stuff that I've dealt with over the years I was sexually abused as a kid and so there's you know psycho somatic stuff going on there's triggers Sorry that have to happened hear. to me in my life but I'm really open about that stuff and particularly in the last 10 years um because again I believe that if I have a platform and I have a voice and I can help one person and I don't mean that to sound arrogant but if my being open about my mental health battle is going to help one person then I'll be I'll continue to be honest about it.
0: I love what you said there so, because I've had like I've had that privilege in the last 4 months you know on this journey with my marathon and connecting with the CF world. You know cystic fibrosis is funny right because you're never able to actually meet anyone face to face with CF because the risk of cross infection is is huge. But through this online journey that I've been on with a marathon and documenting that process and especially once the news stories come out and the radio interviews and the paper stuff, you start to connect with people in the CF community Mm. and when you get one of those messages and it's someone saying that you've inspired them to go and run and work on getting their lungs healthy again or you've inspired them to, you know, take the knocks on the head and keep going and rise above it it's the best feeling in the world and i can understand Because someone why might you do feel that. less
1: than some people don't have that strength to speak up about their mental health or their sexuality and i'm not judging them for that i'm just saying that if if people that do have some strength and i'm not saying i have strength every day but if people that do have strength so you put yourself out there to be honest with you i've got one other friend who's got okay i've got my dog climbing on me i'm sorry about that one-eyed pug um she I have a friend who has cystic fibrosis, Meg, and she was actually on Sunday night. She climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Are um, oh, you kidding?
0: I seen. I think I seen her stuff on Instagram the other day. She yeah, liked probably. something that I shared. Or... Yeah.
1: So only through her recently did I understand what cystic fibrosis is. Yeah, and it's and so I didn't know that stuff about not being able to cross paths and stuff like that. But um, what I'm saying is that some people may not have strength to be open. So you going, hey, I'm fit. I'm healthy, I have my challenges, gives inspiration to someone else. Let's say there's someone that's overweight, that can't even walk 50 metres, but seeing that you're going, I've got this illness, I can and I will and I'll be the best version of myself, then that's a really inspirational
0: thing. I appreciate that. Talk to me, let's, let's get back on the journalism train. And obviously it started off, like you said, very formal. And it's built into this, you being, I guess, the, the guru of Hollywood, as I said, and that A-list whisperer where you know if you scroll through your ig you've met some incredible people
1: yeah but it goes back to the whole point of what i said before in terms of my career i see my journalism as a career i see it as my work i see it as my job so i don't i don't think yes i've got famous people's phone numbers in my phone but i don't see that as anything other than work and there's also You know, they're there to do a job. I'm there to do a job. And yes, my Instagram is filled with those photos, but it's by by necessity because five or seven or eight years ago, I would never have had a photo with a celebrity. I've interviewed Madonna and I've interviewed Brad and Ange and all of these people, but I never asked for photos because I always thought it was very unprofessional, always, because I felt that it then reduced me to being a fan. But the world as it is now with influencers, influencers, who are like a flu basically people that claim to have influence when we don't really know what the influence is. And I'm not criticizing all influences, but I think it's a really dangerous path with people claiming to be experts on something when they're not. Yeah. Um, I've got to get in that game. Social media is part of, and part of of selling yourself as a brand and doing that sort of stuff. So I do have photos with, with people now, but um, again, I'm pretty careful with it. Um, I don't, it kind of feels a bit tacky to me, even still. I see Instagram yeah. as a as necessary evil for my job. It's a dangerous, awful, horrible playing field. Yes, there can be really lovely things about it and you can connect with people, but Instagram as a whole is a pretty awful place, yeah. in my mind, because it puts so much pressure on society. It puts pressure on young girls and guys, but young girls. It sexualizes people. Um, And I don't say that as a prude. I'm very much not a prude, but I I, I I see it as a necessary evil.
0: You know, it's funny because I think because I've grown up with Instagram. You know, you see that side of it, but you you may be not similar to you where you were within your industry without it. Mm. I've always kind of had it within my workspace, but where I noticed it was when TikTok come about, mm. and. There's girls that are 16 years of age that are being extremely sexualized. And you think, is that the world we live in now? It's
1: basic. But you look at Instagram. I've never had a six pack. I don't intend on ever having one. Um, but you look, at, you look at a guy, all the thirsty pics of guys with their shirts off. Yeah. They're going to get thousands of likes Yeah. as opposed to me with my one with my keg. Now I could sit there and feel really shit about myself about that and think that that is a judgment on me that I'm not as good as them, but I don't because that's wasted energy. Um, The same goes for women. These influencers that post photos of their boobs and their ass in those stupid string bikini things, um, it's just sex.
0: Do you actually subscribe to what they say? That's the thing, right? And that's where influencers can be dangerous.
1: I interviewed a very famous australian influencer a few years ago and and she and i gave her the time of day because i thought hang on maybe i'm being a bit harsh and this is a woman who posts photos of her boobs and her bum every photo is semi-naked but she has more than a million followers and i thought hang on i'm gonna i'm gonna do this interview because i want to give her the time so i did it and then i asked her i said look i'm really genuinely curious where do you, where did you learn your craft or where did you learn your influence? Where did you learn your skill? And you're selling a cookbook to me and a healthy lifestyle. So, and, and also personal, um, fitness lifestyle. So she was selling a cookbook and, and a healthy fitness lifestyle. And I said to her, where do you, where do you, where did you learn all that? And she goes, oh, I don't think you really need to do that anymore. It's just about life experience and, You know, like yeah, it's just really good because you know my fans connect with me, and and I thought to myself, well, that's really dangerous. It is very dangerous. She doesn't have a nutrition degree. She doesn't have, and I'm not saying you have to have a nutrition degree, but this is a 19 year old, not a yeah
0: 35
1: year old, or even a 25 year old who's done a, a some sort of formal study, or even if they had been 19 and said, I've read these five books. I'm informed on this process of blah and blah and blah. But they didn't. They just went, oh, it's just based on whatever. So there's, it's, it's not authentic.
0: It's not. And it's, it's extremely dangerous when it comes to matters of health or mental health and life direction. If
1: you have someone like that, that is giving health advice to someone with CF and yeah. saying, you should eat this and you should train this really way. dangerous. Hey. And that doesn't work for you. More fool the person that's taking that advice for listening to someone like that. Yeah. But at the same time, that's what society's come to, and that really, it actually, I actually find it really disheartening and depressing.
0: It is. It's influence for the wrong people, and there's plenty of people doing amazing things that don't get the recognition. I'll ask you. A I'll ask desert. you a,
1: two questions, or one question. If you were to forget COVID, if we were to get on a plane, and an influencer got on the plane and said, I'm flying you guys today. I'm an expert. I've got 2 million followers on, on, and I, and I'm an aviation expert, but they never trained to fly a plane. Would you fly the plane? No way. Exactly. Exactly. So I rest my
0: case. I a hundred percent agree with you. Talk to me about some of the incredible people you've met. Like for me, scrolling through there, there was such a diverse range of, of people you've had the opportunity to interview and share story with. Um, What's some of the wisdom you've gained and what are some of those interviews you look back on and reflect and I feel like you took something out of it that you could apply to your life?
1: There's moments. It's, it's sort of hard to think of. There's so much over 15 to 20 years. Um, overall, the big theme and the big lesson that I've taken from working in that celebrity world um, as cliche as it sounds is that we're all people we all shit we all fart we all piss yeah. we all spew if we are feeling sick um, there is absolutely no difference between me and someone else maybe the bank account or the level of fame um, so that, that's the lesson we're all human we have feelings we all suffer from different things and, and so they might have money and fame and power of whatever sort of power but it doesn't doesn't really mean anything. No, it actually means nothing. So being recognised means nothing. I don't ever want to be famous. I want to be acknowledged for being good at what I do. And if that means that someone on the street says, "Hey, I saw you on blah," or "I heard you on blah," or "I listened to you on whatever," uh, or "I read your article on whatever," and I agreed with it, or I wrote an opinion piece in it, and it resonated with someone, then that for me is is good. But I don't want to, I couldn't think of anything worse than that level of fame where you just like rushed around and you can't stop and smell the roses. Um, In terms of, that's the greatest lesson of what I do. And and again, why I go back to the point that I treat every story I do with with the same journalism and journalistic integrity that I would if it was a political or a court story. Um, In terms of moments, I've had some amazing moments and, and, and I guess one of my regrets in life, and I don't like to have regrets and I don't really, but if I think about it and analyze it like this, the regret I have, and I think most many people would have the same, is that I didn't enjoy it when I was doing it. So I covered, when I worked at Australian Associated Press, I traveled the world. I was literally on a plane once a month, once every six weeks if I was stretching it out, Flying business class all around the world: London, Paris, New York, Los Angeles, Berlin. Um, I, d- I covered the Cannes Film Festival for multiple years. Incredible. And I'd go to parties and I'd be mixing with these people. But you know, you don't actually at that time. Um, you don't. You don't realise that you're at that moment, like that yeah. you're at the peak of whatever that is. I haven't been to the Cannes Film Festival since and that was at the beginning of my career. Um, You know, you're at parties at Pierre Cardin's house and Tom Hanks is next to you or, you know, whatever. Um, Again, it's pinch yourself sort of stuff. Again, they're just people, but it is pretty cool. You are pretty chuffed when you're like, wow, how the hell did this boy from Canberra who was frumpy, not sporty, not popular... End up in in a room in a room like full of all of these people that are fascinating. Um, the moments that I've enjoyed the most in my life have been interview-wise have been moments where I've spoken to or met people that have shared their story, had a truth, had integrity, and um, you know it's the least famous ones that I'm more interested in. It's the people that do amazing advocacy work. It's the people that do. Um, work in the environmental space or in the mental health space or, you know, things like that, um, that really inspire me. Um, or it's connections with famous people when you cut through the bullshit. Because if you look at all the photos on my Instagram, most of those would have been in junket situations where I'm, you know, flown to LA, I sit down with someone for 15 minutes, like in, in in the movies, and you do your thing and then you go off. And they don't remember me, I remember yeah. them. Um, But there's amazing moments, like um, in London one time, um, Avril Lavigne, back when she used to be really famous, she was there, I was there, the record label organised an interview, I went around to a hotel, there was no minders, she was hungover as a dog, and so we both just lay on the couch and sat there and talked for ages and ages and ages. That sort of stuff for me is great. Or Adam Lambert, in just a back office in LA, at his management's place, and just having a real chat, real connection. Um, Carrie Fisher who you're probably too young to know but she was Princess Leia in all the Star Wars movies yeah. um, became a friend and when I say friend I mean loosely but we had each other's numbers and we had each other's emails and um, you know one time she just took a shining to me and called, her assistant called me and said Carrie wants to see you so I rushed over to the Shangri-La hotel and I sat there at the foot of her bed she was in a dressing gown her hair pulled back moisturized on her face and we just sat for hours and she was talking about Al Pacino and just Hollywood. And so those are the moments that I relish and appreciate the most. Yeah. The ones that actually, look, like, I, I wrote about that after she died because it showed an insight into the sort of person that she was. But it wasn't a story when I did it. Like, it was, yeah, it was I didn't do, do it for a story. Um, do you
0: find, can I ask, when you speak to someone like that in that intimate setting where... The walls are down. There's no pen in hand, or there's no Mm. recorder going. Do you do you sense an element of pain in, I guess, the weight that fame holds? You know, you spoke about it before. You'd never want to be that famous that you're rushed around. You know, I look at, you know, say for example, recently there's been like this worldwide thing with Justin Bieber releasing Mm. his latest song about the weight of expectation that was on the shoulders of, you know, a 14, 15-year-old kid. Mm. And, you know, it's created all these amazing things in his life and, you know, Mm. allowed him to do great things. But, you know, I think even as a young person or even at my age now, you know, I really enjoy the ability of being able to go to the beach at sunrise, sit there with some mates, have a chat and have the, I guess, the ability to sit there freely and and discuss what we want to discuss in privacy and, and have that and nice and connection Justin doesn't have that and you know they um, don't have that
1: yeah you do you feel the pain I mean every every artist music art um, I mean painting and things like that um, actors there's a level of pain because all of them are insecure I don't think I've ever met any actor or musician or anyone that's famous in that sense that doesn't have a sense of insecurity. And it's probably the same all through society. Um, but they're tortured people, often. They're often suffering from depression. They're often insecure. Um, so, yeah, you do feel that. But it's it takes a lot to strip it back. And, you know, that's very hard to do in a 10-minute interview with someone. Yeah, definitely. So you don't often see that. But, yeah, when I sat with Carrie Fisher... And, you know, you mentioned Justin Bieber. Carrie Fisher was... I would argue even more famous than Justin Bieber ever was only from the sense that the world was a different place. Then they didn't have social media. So there was so much more mystery around who she was, what she did um, and, and who she slept with and who she didn't sleep with and what really happened behind the scenes on the movies and all of that sort of stuff. So she, it was more secret and, and there was a great level of pain. She wrote about it in numerous books about the drugs and alcohol and the, abuse that she did to herself um so sitting there with her yeah i could feel it and i feel she picked me because um because she could sense that i was a wounded person too and she appreciated that honesty but um do you get that when you're just going in and doing a quick junket with someone um no you don't you you rarely do um i interviewed a guy on the phone last night a guy called youngblood who you may have heard of. He's an English fella, isn't he? English fella. Amazing. Um, Super talented. Super talented. What I love about him, his new album's called Weird, and what I love about him is that he is 24 and you can tell he's had some pain in his life. But he's like, I'm going to embrace... all the shit inside of me and I'm going to find my community and he's found that through his music and he's got millions of followers with social media and all of that sort of stuff and it's working and he's created this community that hopefully other people can tap into and all of that sort of stuff and he's on the phone to me last night talking about being bisexual at 24 he used to date Halsey he spoke about her he's talking about mental health and feeling different and all of that sort of stuff. It's, yeah. it's. Um, I think there is a movement. He said on the phone that he thinks we're in a sexual revolution now, like the seventies. I'm not sure that's the case. Maybe I'm just too old to have sex anymore. Um, but it, it does feel like we're in a revolution in, in, in a sense in, the, in the fact that we. People are asking questions. Sometimes we ask too many questions. Yeah. Stupid questions. Like.
0: I agree with you though. I think in a way we're in a, I think we're in a change where people are understanding it's okay to be yourself. Hmm. And I feel like that's becoming more normal. Like I feel like that we, you know, probably because of social media and the ability for these, these stars or these people, you know, like someone like Youngblood to express who they are and allow that to reach. You know, someone who's in Wollongong or someone who's just in Sydney living their day-to-day. And, and it's not prior. as threatening
1: for him at, to say, hey, yeah, I'm bisexual or I might want to pass a guy or I might be gender fluid or I might be all this sort of stuff. The, the younger generations are not threatened by that. It doesn't threaten their sexuality if they're straight. Like, um, So, yeah, maybe we are.
0: You know what's all a bit confusing and scary? Buying your first home and getting your first loan approved you see I'm 24 and I bought my first property last year even as an agent at the time there was so much I didn't know about finance because we aren't taught these things at school you see I'm blessed now because one of my best mates Zachary Bidoff is a mortgage broker And now that I'm self-employed I have to be smarter with my money so I sat down with Zach to refinance my loan and to get the absolute best deal I could and it's saving me money every week you see the great thing about Zach is he's 28 years old Super relatable and he knows everything you need to about buying your first property. So whether it's pre-approval or refinancing that you need, head across to zacharybitoff.com or find the link in the show notes. Now you may be hearing that and wondering, well once I've identified the right property, what do I do? If it's a house that you've found, it's important you know the ins and outs of the property. A few issues can quickly add up, leaving you well over budget with a ton of work to do. To ensure that's not the case, it's advised that you seek the professional opinion of a building and pest inspector. Greg and Sharon Flood are the owners of Inspect Wollongong. Their job, to provide you with a building and pest report, identifying the good and the bad in each property, and giving you the necessary advice to move forward. Keen property investors themselves, Greg and Sharon love helping anyone who's keen to get into the market. And it all begins with a home that will stand the test of time. Get in touch with Inspect Wollongong via the contact details in the show notes. While we're on the property train, it's a great opportunity to talk about my next sponsor. If you're looking at purchasing an apartment or selling one, you may be familiar with the idea of a Strata report. It's the document that outlines all the good, the bad and the ugly within the body corporate's financial plans and all the issues that need to be addressed before you put pen to paper on a sales contract. But how do you organise that and who does it for you? Well, that's where Coastal Strata comes in. They are your go-to service in New South Wales, providing reports, bylaws and renovation approvals. For all their services, head to coastalstrata.com.au or find the link in the show notes. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, I, I watched, one of the things that was influential for me was I watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, Yeah, and I was fascinated, don't get me wrong, the whole MJ thing was cool, but I was fascinated with Dennis Rodman. <laughs> I was like, man, there's, you know, there was obviously some insecurity there too, like anyone has, but there was this guy who really, I thought, shone in that that documentary because you got to see as a guy young guy who wasn't that era watching basketball mm. and you know i'll watch it now but he was such a polarizing character and and back then
1: he it was a real um confusing situation because dennis rodman was sexually ambiguous maybe bisexual maybe not but he still slept with women, so straight guys could go. Oh well, it's okay because of whatever. And he was also this—he's also this imposing figure. He's tall and he's big, and he's like you don't want to yeah
0: cut him down. So I went and got my hair dyed leopard print after I seen that. Did you? <laughs> yeah, for, I had it for two months. <laughs> two months, and it was funny because even in Wollongong, walking down the beach, there was this crazy thing where people like I've never had so many random conversations in my life <laughs> because people are fascinated by someone's decision to be bold mm. and it's really interesting like it was almost like a social experiment yeah i've never had so many people go out of their way and approach me and it was really to the point where it kind of eventually gets annoying because you're like yeah Man, i'm just trying to enjoy my leopard hair down the beach in the morning but <laughs> it's um it's really funny to see the way that the world has changed and people are more open to that i expected more criticism mm. and which i'm okay with i'm i am okay with i am i am i got to admit i'm pretty secure and self-confident and I think that's because I'm surrounded by so many great people in my circle and in my tight-knit group mm. that encourage me to just be to be bold, to make big decisions, to chase whatever I want to chase in life. So maybe mm. it comes from that. Mm. But I feel like as a world, we're slowly walk, working towards that.
1: Yeah, yeah, hopefully. It's kind of... I think social media and all of that stuff, while there's been a lot of bad stuff to do with it, it's been pretty amazing in that it has broken down a lot of the walls and celebrities are like found out if they're not real so and that's been a lot of the you know it used to be if if kanye west had a meltdown we wouldn't have known about it whereas now yeah. if he has a meltdown we know about it because it's all over social media but um people are able to share opinions that they never would have before um there's still a lot of control behind the scenes in that celebrity world like too much control um but yeah i think we're able to See through the bullshit a bit more
0: Definitely Definitely Talk to me about You know we spoke about it a little bit off air Before the way that this world has changed For you in your profession Mm. Where do you see it heading in the next 5 to 10 years?
1: People always say that media Journalism is dead And newspapers are dying And all of that sort of stuff I don't agree And I might be seen as a relic A dinosaur of the past But I still I don't think I am I I I think that people will always consume news. People that are your age or younger will consume it differently and they need to be discerning. They need to understand the difference between reading a Facebook post or an Instagram story and taking that as gospel and then actually doing some research. And if you don't, then you're stupid and so you don't deserve really to have an opinion. But if you, I think, I think that journalism is not dead at all. It's just a new wave of everyone wanting to be a journalist um, and everyone wanting to have an opinion, and there's good and bad in that. Um, opinions are like assholes. We've all got them. And we can do with them what we want. Um, uh, I think I think there's a danger in, in everyone having an opinion and thinking their opinion is right um, because it... Who's keeping it in check? Yeah. Um, I think, as I said, there's a danger in people just taking all of their news from social media and believing that as gospel. Um, but I think people are becoming much smarter to that. I think we've seen that through the Trump era, and I think that um, with Biden coming in, that people are going, "Hang on, who's who's telling us what, and why are they telling us this?" There's always going to be different media players who will sort of guide the news in different ways but at the core you want to know what's going on and and your job as a consumer of news as a as a society, as an educated member of society is to take what you know and then make your informed decisions i'm not saying read everything i write and say that i agree that you agree with it i'm saying listen observe and make your decision based on that um media changing yes um, newspapers there's there's Australia's a different market to perhaps other places around the world but You know, still a lot of people buy the physical copy of the newspaper, particularly on weekends. But there's something nice about reading that. The newspapers are doing a good job in the last few years, particularly at adapting and changing. Um, You know, paywalls have gone up everywhere on all different media sites. And a lot of people complain about that. But my argument to them is you get what you pay for. So you read a Facebook post from someone from a free article... Well, you get what you pay for. You you read the Daily Mail and you and you trust that as gossip, the gospel, then you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, you know what you'll get from me as opposed to a Daily Mail story is the Daily Mail will tell you what someone's wearing, and I'll tell you what's really happening. Um, I was in a
0: Daily Mail story once. Here's a funny. Here's a funny story for you. So I was in real estate for three and a half years, and it was my first year, and both of my bosses had gone overseas, and we used to have. Like normally we'd sell normal property, like there's some beautiful property in the Wollongong region. But we had this connection with council and council used to every year auction off what they called unpaid rates land, which was these really, like really peculiar pieces of land. They might've been like a triangle shape or a dog league shape. They might only be like three square meters, Hmm. like literally three square meters, ridiculous. But they were parts that had been missed on a survey and sat between two people's blocks and... Legally, they had to auction them off. And usually it was the adjoining property that purchased them. And in some cases, you know, it'd be someone else for some weird reason, but there was always these really high inquiry rates because people would just see land for, you know, $10,000 and go, what This land for 10 grand in Wollongong? And hmm. I had these two that I was getting belted with inquiry. It was no one had ever seen land that cheap in that area before. And I was getting message after call, after email inquiry, and I was handling it all myself. Like it almost took a full day to get through these inquiries. And I had this lady call me from Daily Mail and she said, you know, we're ringing about the property that you've got and these really peculiar landlots. You know, can you explain what's going on there? And I kind of explained the story and I said, like, you know, our job legally is to auction them for council. We hope that the adjoining owners buy them, but if someone else rocks up to the auction and is the highest bidder and, you know, it meets council's reserve, we have to sell them. Mm. And, you know, I was like 20 at the time, so I didn't think that she'd take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And this story came out the week later and, you know, I was actually at a charity event. It was The Amazing Race in Wollongong for charity. And my mum calls me and, like, I'd had like three missed calls from mum, like five missed calls from dad. And I'm like, what's going on? And I call mum back and she goes, oh my God, your face is plastered all over the Daily Mail. And I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> and I thought she was taking the piss. So I go, yeah, right, And she goes, no, it is. And it's you in a suit with like your real estate mugshot. And it's like real estate agent sells land of like, it basically made us look terrible. And I remember calling my yeah. bosses and being like, oh, this kind of come out. And they're like, oh, I never talked to the Daily Mail. I'm looking at it
1: now. Money-hungry council puts tiny overlooked land parcels up for sale, including one across a homeowner's driveway and one 83 metres long but 20 centimeters wide.
0: Yeah. Can you see my mugshot there? Uh, Where did they get rid of it?
1: Yeah, I can see you. Yeah. Mr. Dryberg Yeah. said the new owner could sit on the land and hope the value increased over time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, but really they're just doing their job as well. Like, yeah. I mean, that's kind of different in a way. It's, it's a funny story. It is. It's it gimmicky. Is. It's quite unique. I mean who I didn't even know that you can buy lands for three metres by four point three metres. Yeah, it's
0: really weird. So it got a lot of attention and but it was funny, like it's it's that thing once again where it's kinda like, you're probably not gonna write about that story, right? But No. Daily Mail, well and like I agree with you, you get what you pay for and and you're 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 buying a, a trusted source of media.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when people pay for the Daily Telegraph, they know what they're getting. And there's pillars of the telegraph that people really invest in. It's sport, it's crime it's entertainment, and, and people pay for that because they know they're going to get the best of the best. Um, I think that subscription model will continue. I, I You know, a lot of times I'll go to dinner parties or be out with friends or friends of friends and they'll be like, I'm not paying for the news. And I'm like, but they'll then feel like giving me their opinion on all of these different things. And I, I remember one time in front of everyone I said, so do you subscribe to any media news service? Any. I'm not saying subscribe to the Telegraph. I'm not saying do you subscribe to the Herald, or the Guardian, whatever, whoever you get a paywall from. Um, and they said no. And I said, well, you don't have a right to have an opinion then because you're not, yeah. you're just taking it from hearing it here and hearing it there.
0: It's not educated, is it? Um,
1: so, and also a lot of, yeah, I, I just, so yes, the media landscape is changing. People are paying for stories differently than what they used to before. Um, but it's actually not that expensive and I'm not here to sell that to you but like a dollar whatever every couple of days for all the news stories on whatever website you're reading or a dollar a week or whatever it is it's really not that much it is pretty cheap yeah. um, again I'm like I'm not I'm not selling that to, to you right now but it 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 it's it's a small price to pay for being informed when you're paying what is it $14 a week or whatever it is you pay for Netflix, Netflix or yeah. you know Foxtel X amount of dollars a month or you know those streaming services um you know I don't, I don't think paying for news is 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 that bad and and as I said you get what you pay for and you know even family members of mine are like oh I don't want to subscribe I'm like well i got to pay my bills So, if you don't subscribe, then you won't get the stories. I won't have a job. Um, So, yeah, it's like this cycle. But I think people are realising through Trump and the whole fake news line that if you want to be part of the world that is discussing stuff, then you've got to contribute and get what you pay for.
0: Definitely. Talk to me about, obviously, we're here, Sydney, Australia. For those of you who aren't, we think it's incredible. But... You know, your work has been with so many people, especially in entertainment. It is so heavily, you know, dictated by the US. Um, yeah. You found yourself still here in Australia. You've got the ability, um, you know, not so much to travel at the moment, but, you know, we spoke about you being on planes consistently and travelling overseas. What do you think's kept you in our country as opposed to maybe thinking about, have you ever thought about moving to the US um, for this? I, th- or? I
1: thought about it, but I've, you know, been very fortunate. I've worked very hard and I've been... Able to build a career here. Um, I don't. I tell you the honest truth. My mum died in two thousand and nine. She was fifty six. So I was thirty one.
0: Wow, that's so young.
1: Um, and she died of cancer. And before then, I was thinking I'm going to go and live in LA for a while, or New York, or London, but probably LA. Do that whole thing. And then I thought, when my mum died, I was like, I've got a twin sister. She's got four beautiful daughters. I don't want to be away from my family i travel a lot i get the best of all of those worlds australia is truly the best place in the world to live sydney is an amazing city it may not have the nightlife of broadway or whatever but it's still a great city big enough to have everything you need small enough to still feel like a community vibe um so when my mum died i I just that's when i decided i'm not going to go and live overseas And I've been so lucky to get all of those travel experiences. I've travelled everywhere. um, And travel for me is a huge part of my life. So it's been weird not travelling this year. But there's also a joy in being still and not... um, That's a silver lining to this year. Is that you are forced to go, hang on, I'm going to go to Wollongong or I'm going to go to the Blue Mountains or I'm going to drive to Mudgee or whatever, different towns out of Sydney. Um... And being still and present and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I just decided I didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to go to L.A. And L.A., the media scene in L.A. is ruthless. It's awful. It is absolutely awful. You have every freelance entertainment person in the world that wants to rub up up against the rich and famous. You have them all there freelancing. So it's ruthless. It's nasty. It's cutthroat. um, It's bitchy. Um, it's the worst of the worst of the worst. It's run by, um, uh, look, I don't even know if I want to get into it, but the HFPA is a Hollywood foreign press association, which if you Google it, has had a lot of stuff written about, um, its ethics and credibility. Um, and they are the ones that run the golden globes. So they get access to everything. So if you're not part of that machine, then you are out on, on the outer, And um, I just didn't want to play that game. It's not not. for me. And I I would rather have real conversations with people in Australia. And yes, it's great to meet Jada Pinkett Smith or Madonna or whomever is in Australia at any given time. But the real stories that I like to tell or that I find most interesting are the ones about what's going on here. I wrote a story today, Rose Byrne in Australia, making a movie um, with a bunch of girlfriends who I happen to be friends with. Um, I'm actually making a cameo. I'm shooting in it next week. Um, it's, they're the stories I want to tell. If I, exactly. look at the, if I look at all the metrics of the stories that I write, Australians want to hear Australian stories. Yes, they want to know on the periphery what Justin Bieber's doing or whatever. Like they, they want to know if there's a meltdown or something. But they want to know Australian stories. So if I write a story on Justin Bieber it, from America... None of my readers are going to read that. None of the Telegraph readers are going to really give a shit. It's, it's the stories on what's happening in our own communities. And that's what makes media rich and energised in 2020 and going into the future is telling people stories in the communities in which we live. So, um, yes, we'll have visitors drop in. Zac Efron's making a movie in Adelaide and you've got Idris Elba in Sydney this week. And that story did really well online because he's making a movie here. And Nicole Kidman's been doing incredible stuff in Byron Bay um but it's those stories that are interesting not i you know there's a million people writing stories about what Justin Bieber's doing in Los Angeles yeah. or wherever he is and i don't need to buy into that
0: yeah it doesn't really impact us here if it? i was based
1: there but what is that that has no bearing on what you do and you can go to the daily mail and get your or the Daily Fail, as lots of people call it, and get it, you know, see your pap shots or whatever. You can, you know, see Just Jarrod or Perez Hilton or any of those blogs and see the pictures that are coming through the ranks. Um, But, yeah, my job is to tell entertainment stories within Australia, and the stories that do the best for me are the ones on people here.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I found that too with this. Like, it's not always the... There's almost this naivety when you go into the podcast world that the bigger the guest, the big you know the more listens you get and the more engagement you get. My most popular episode has been a very good mate of mine who had a real mental health and bipolar battle mm. and was brave enough to sit in front of a mic and share his story mm. and the wisdom he's gained from that and you know the ability he's had to you know and what it's taken to move on from that and and go back to normal life and he's. One of the most happy, happy, outgoing, just amazing human beings you'll meet. And it was the most popular episode because it's something that's relatable.
1: I'm really bad. I haven't ever, never, ever, ever looked at the stats on my podcast. JMO Confidential, pick it up at all your favorite podcast places. Yeah. But I've never really looked at the stats because to me it doesn't really matter if there's five people listening or there's 5,000 people listening because, yes, you want to keep going, but it's it's hopefully those people are connecting with it but yeah like i want to know real stories about real people the joy of podcasting with people is that they let their guard down and they talk about things that they otherwise wouldn't you know in this interview where we've chatted i've sp- i've mentioned my mental health i've mentioned i was sexually abused i've spoken about my fav- favorite celebrities you haven't asked me what my least favorite you um and 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 so we can cover a whole range of of topics and if you take any one of those little snippets out you could pull it into something and say that this person said that or the other but it's um it's really nice to get a whole story from
0: someone it is in a a long form Mm. content which we all seem to really love you touched on it just there least favorite least favorite and it's a funny question i've asked this before too i don't know if you know nate now from Auckland, nah. so Nate was one of the sort of radio stars there for a long time. Who left that industry for a change and started his own podcast. And I remember him saying that his worst experience was Aloe Black. Really? Yeah,
1: I liked Aloe Black. He's, he was a bit he wasn't cold. He was a bit standoffish, but I think that was just his vibe. He's married to an Australian chick, Maya Jupiter, who was a really MTV. Um, or V, Channel V music host many years ago. Yeah. Um, look, my experience of him was being very nice and very friendly. Um, Zach Braff from Scrubs, the TV show, was one of the worst. He's
0: the dude with the darker hair, isn't yeah, he? Yeah,
1: he was the doctor on there. He was one of the rudest people I've ever interviewed. Really? Um, John Mayer. I had an argument with him. He wouldn't remember. I remember at the lo- after the Logies in Melbourne one night, he was just the biggest wanker so rude and just thought he was the duck's nuts and the bee's knees and I was like ugh you're revolting Uh, Usher was one of the best people I've ever met the first few times I met him and then the last time I met him I just thought he was pretty ordinary and he had all these people around him and he just seemed a bit affected and a bit of a loser Um, for the most part though everyone's on their best behaviour who's Um, been the most it's the least famous people the least famous reality stars that they get this hint of fame and think that they are amazing yeah. that then become the most difficult and pains in the ass. Who's the most surprising? Hmm.
0: Um, because I find Cher? saying this, there's people that surprise you, right? Mm. Like you go into it with an expectation and you come out of it and you go. Fuck, that was different. It's
1: people that have real opinions. It's people that aren't afraid to actually say what they think and when they think. So there's an actor called Tilda Swinton. Um, I flew to New Zealand to do a set visit with her on um, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe 10 plus years ago. And uh, we did a roundtable junket, and there was me, and there was Helga from Sweden, and you know someone from Spain, and someone from Hong Kong, and whatever. And we all asked stupid questions, and everyone inevitably in those roundtable interviews where you've got people from all around the world, someone will be like from Finland, going, "Oh, have you ever been to Helsinki? What's your favourite restaurant there?" And it's really shit. Um, yeah. Anyway, we got into this great conversation. I asked something; she mentioned something about the politics of of the line, "The Witch in the Wardrobe." And it was around the Gulf War time or there was Iraq, sorry, stuff. And um, and she, I found it really illuminating. I found her really interesting that she was willing to talk about that. And in fact, I got in trouble afterwards because she liked that, we talk, that I asked those questions that she then pulled me aside and we went and had 20 minutes by ourselves. Okay. And so it pissed off all the other journalists. Um, but yeah, it's people like that. It's people that are surprising. It's the... The Carrie Fishers, you know, don't have anything to lose. They don't have those hang-ups anymore because they've been there, they've done that, and they don't need
0: to worry. Definitely. I think there's been plenty of gems in this, um, but I'd love to get from you, I guess, a piece of opinion, a few words, something you put forward to our audience listening. You know, the demographic is heavily between 18 and 32. I used to be that age. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm right smack bang in the middle of it, which is where the majority of the audience sits. But, you know, if you cast your mind back to the JMO of Canberra Uni days, mm. finding your way in the world and, you know, and setting off and steering your ship to reach, you know, Destination 42 today with all the knowledge and wisdom you've acquired along the way, what would you tell yourself, that one message of importance? Uh,
1: I, I, I I think it is... Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to dream big. Back yourself. And, you know, all of those things are very cliched and very big statements. But, um, yeah, believe in yourself. And and don't give up. Because, you know, there's times where I've really struggled with life. I mentioned mental health. There's been times where I've not wanted to be alive. and, And I have attempted to take my own life. At a young, as a younger guy, back in those Canberra Uni days, um, so don't be afraid to ask questions. Be yourself. Make a fool. Don't be afraid to make a fool of yourself. And probably, most importantly, is don't be so hard on yourself because my. life i think one of my messages to myself is no one can hurt me more than i've hurt myself because i beat myself up over so much internally and have done in the past not so much anymore but in the past and it made me abuse myself i i took drugs and alcohol and i partied and i you know dulled the numbed the pain so just don't be afraid to be you be raw be authentic and, you know, we all make mistakes. Pick yourself up. Keep going. And, um, you know, the world is a good place. The world can be a good place. There's assholes like Trump in the world that really make it hard to believe that. But, the, the, you know, the world is our oyster. And that's one thing that the stupid influences can show us is that you can make whatever you want in this world. So yeah, I think I think don't be so hard on yourself and, and to believe in yourself is probably the biggest lesson I've learned.
0: I want to say I salute you for that because I think you being who you are and showcasing that and, and showing that to the world will definitely help, you know, those younger JMO, JMOs who are in your position going through those tougher times to be more confident in the fact that it's going to be okay. And you know, that's an easy statement to say, but... You know, it's, it's a hard statement to hear when you're in that place.
1: Yeah, like I, I, I've been to hell and back, literally. Sexually abused, tried to kill myself, all of that stuff, really battling a lot of demons. But then I look at myself now at my age, still not old, old, but older than maybe your demographic, and, and I, I think that I'm proof that you can battle that stuff, you can weather it, and still life will be okay. You know, it doesn't have to define you. Your mental health battles don't have to define you. Being sexually abused doesn't have to define you. You can come out the other side and and lead a pretty bloody good life. And I'm very happy to be alive. I'm so happy to be alive. Life is f- ripe for the taking. And I appreciate every day. I wake up in the morning and I'm grateful and I'm happy. But there were times where I woke up every morning and I wasn't. And I was miserable and didn't want to live. So I feel very grateful to be here and and hopefully that's a message that even one person might hear and think, yeah, okay, at least he's being authentic and real. They might think I'm being a wanker and just telling you guys what to do or say. but um,
0: No, you know, I think there's a quote that I read more recently and I think it was Mother Teresa actually. So this is going to make me sound extremely wise and I'll probably butcher it, but it was something like, not everyone can change the world but everyone can change the world for one person. Hmm. And I love that because I think that will. I think that will affect at you least one person. You told me you were going to butcher that. Audience. You didn't butcher it at all. I think I got it right. Yeah, you got you to did. be careful. You, got you to... did. Yeah, Especially are... when you're quoting Mother Teresa. Exactly. People are cautious for quotes, but... Mate, um, it's, yeah. it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank for you for coming into my home. To I'm busting to do
1: a wee, so we better get off this Mate, thing. we will.
0: We will. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Keep tuning in. Keep loving, sharing leaving those five-star ratings and reviews, it means the absolute world to me. You guys are changing my life and allowing me to do what I'm passionate about, what I feel purpose in. So thank you so much. Until the next time.